Welcome to the New Man Podcast, a show for brave men to experience freedom in their faith, sexuality, and relationships. The goal? goal? To provide practical tools and timeless principles that help you become the man you were made to be. And now, your host, Sathya Sam. What's up, everybody? It's Sathya Sam here, and welcome to the New Man Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening today, and I'm really excited to dig in. Uh, By the way, just before I do that, if you haven't listened to yesterday's episode, How Stuart Harrison Overcame a 20-Plus Year Addiction to Become a Rising Church Leader, I highly recommend you you read it, uh, you listen to it, rather. And I know that there's a bunch of you who listen to this podcast that are either church leaders yourself or you want to become a church leader. You know, you want to lead your own ministry. Maybe you want to get more involved at your local church. And Stuart has one of the best stories I've heard of a recovery and, and just getting opportunity. And I mean, it's like, it's one of those stories where you can just tell God is so clearly at work in his life. And it, it's honestly, it's nuts. But just to give you a little bit of a nugget and the thing that just gets me every single time, and this is why I actually love sharing his story. Um, but, you know, he, he starts doing the program, right? He's doing deep clean. He's getting free of porn. He's getting transformed. He's discovering himself. He's starting to experience a transformation, you know, and his identity is growing and whatever, whatever. And people at church start coming to him and asking for counsel and advice. And it wasn't solicited. It wasn't, he wasn't appointed. It was just this organic thing because the transformation inside was starting to manifest itself outside. And so people just acknowledge him as a safe person, a wise person, somebody they could turn to. And lo and behold, like this guy's now a rising church leader. Um, his pastor just went away for six months and he is uh, left, left at the helm. You know, he's the one that's kind of running the church while he's gone. So it just goes to show you that, you know, God can really honor those desires. And if that's a calling that's on your life, God is eager to get you free of porn so you can step further into that calling. So um, just wanted to point that out. I I usually don't do that, but I felt like that episode is especially important for some of you guys who are listening. And um, yeah, I mean, if you want to get more involved in your church and porn is holding you back, listen to that story, take some notes, uh, learn and just pay attention to some of the things Stuart did. And you will be, um, yeah, I think you'll be really impressed and really amazed at, at what God can do in someone's life knowing full well that if he can do it in Stuart's life, Stuart is amazing, but he's nothing special. If he can do it in his life, uh, he can do it in yours too. Today's episode, we are talking about the difference between a thought and an emotion. And this subject actually has come up uh, a couple times in um, some some Q&As I've been a part of and uh, in one of my groups as well. Oh, excuse me. And um, And so we're just talking about that, you know, what's the difference between a thought and an emotion? And I thought that's quite interesting because guys are pretty good at getting in touch with their thoughts, you know, and I would say people in general, that's not like specific to guys, but it's not too hard to be aware of your thoughts and the things that go through your mind. That quality is sort of what separates the human race from any other species we are able to get in tune with our thoughts and we can think about our thoughts and be aware of what we're aware of and notice what we're noticing and you know all that kind of stuff. That's just a fundamental 
human quality. Emotions, not so much. Um, emotions are also a human quality. And in fact, what we experience as emotions is actually experienced in many other species as well. And we won't get into that too much today. But actually being able to notice an emotion, pay attention to an emotion, and sort of label an emotion is a skill that most guys have to develop because it is not taught to them when they are younger. And, you know, I think our generation, you know, I'm a millennial, so I would say, you know, our generation is aware of that discrepancy and certainly eager to do something about it. We have a long way to go, lots to learn still, but I, I do think some of those stereotypes that have been problematic are being broken down, and that's a good thing. And hopefully that leads to a much more emotionally intelligent generation of males, especially in the coming years. But, you know, only time's going to tell. But I thought, you know, we, we talk about kind of uh, managing your thought life. We've talked about how to handle your emotions well. But we haven't actually explained what the difference is between these two. And they often can get confused with one another. So in some ways, you know, I can teach you how to manage your thoughts or how to get in touch with your emotions. But if you don't know the difference, I'm not really doing you any favors regardless. So the goal today is to just kind of outline some of the basic fundamental differences between a thought and emotion. Pardon me, a thought and an emotion. I do that sometimes. I just mix my words together. I think it's one of the byproducts of being a fast talker for many years. It just You start to merge your words. Anyway, uh, let's start talking about a thought. So thoughts take place in the mind. Um, that's a bit different than emotions. Emotions... Uh, take place first in the brain. So there is a difference between your mind and your brain. I don't know if you knew that. Um, but thoughts thoughts kind of have, they, I mean, thoughts can originate in the brain as well. But, uh, but really, the thoughts that you have and the, the things that you really think about, that is an activity of the mind um, much more than it's an activity of the brain. Whereas your emotions originate in your brain. There's a part of your brain, it's called the midbrain, uh, the limbic system just depends on how you slice it. But there is a part of your brain that is devoted to processing emotion. And that's when you first become aware of the things that you're feeling and experiencing. So they, they occur even just in different parts of your brain. The prefrontal cortex, that's sort of the, the your mind or that's where kind of the thinking sort of takes place. It's not fully understood exactly how what we call the mind uh, correlates with your prefrontal cortex. But that's probably, you know, it, it, it's certainly related somehow. So the prefrontal cortex is where you do your thinking. Your midbrain, um, and sorry, I'm, getting, I'm throwing a lot of terms out here. Let me use a different term for prefrontal cortex. Let's call that the forebrain. Okay, the front part of your head. Where your forehead is, that is, that is your prefrontal cortex or what we're going to call your forebrain. Okay, your forebrain is where your thoughts take place. Your midbrain is where emotions take place. Now, the real question in this conversation is what comes first, a thought or an emotion? And the answer is both. <laughs> I've heard people say that, you know, thoughts come first and emotions are responses to thoughts. I think generally speaking, that is more true. It's more true that your emotions are a response to thoughts. And so let me give you an example. I'm a pretty high-strung individual. I work hard. I, I just have kind of that, that type A personality. And I am prone to anxiety 
as a result. Sometimes I just get overwhelmed. I, I think of all the things I have to do, all the plans I have to make, and how's this gonna work out, and, and what's gonna be the outcome of this, and you know, my mind just starts to race. And those thoughts cause anxiety. So I start to feel anxious because trying to get my head around all these things feels a little bit out of control. So that is what I mean uh, when I say that thoughts kind of start the process and then you have an emotional response. Now, uh, a, a different example of where an emotion might come first is when you experience something that is highly threatening. So imagine you're, um, I, I like using this example. So imagine that you're in a forest, you're camping, and in the middle of the night, you have to go to the bathroom. So you get up and you go to the bathroom and you turn around and there's a bear staring you right in the face. Well, you don't have any thoughts that you're necessarily aware of. Maybe subconsciously something's going on, but you are immediately scared because, it, again, you didn't have any thoughts. There was no, there was no thinking about stuff. There's no processing, but you have an emotion and that emotion is fear and, and panic and anxiety and distress and, you know, whatever else. So they, they play into each other, and I think it's probably a bit of a mistake to say that, that thoughts, um, thoughts come first and then emotions. Although, like I said, I think generally that's true. The main difference really is that a thought is, um, is malleable. You know, you have thoughts, but you have a thousand thoughts a day, and they come into your brain and they go, you know? And a couple of them stick around and you spend some more time thinking about them or whatever. But, but thoughts, thoughts really uh, are where we have a lot of control. We can sort of control what we think and what we want to think about and what we don't want to think about. But emotions are much more hardwired. Emotions um, are felt in the body. Our, our body responds to our emotions. They don't necessarily respond to thoughts but the body does respond to emotions. So going back to my example, I'm overwhelmed by all the life things I need to do. I start feeling anxious and then I start feeling tightness in my chest. The tightness in my chest is more a response to the feelings of anxiety than it is to the thoughts of making plans and how to get caught up and everything else. So emotions are, are sort of hardwired. And I think this is where understanding that, you know, that emotions play in and that we can control thoughts becomes really helpful. So for me, when I catch myself in these thinking patterns and I'm, I'm feeling panicked and I'm feeling concerned and I'm a little bit you know uh, wound up tight and I'm feeling anxious and now I'm feeling some tightness in my chest, well, I now get to take control, not of my emotions, I can't control the emotion, but I can control the thoughts around it. I can go back and say, okay, these thoughts about all this concern I have, I, I have to just remind myself, this is going to work out. Like everything, historically speaking, things have always worked out. And when they didn't work out, it actually wound up being a good thing. Something better came along or that thing I was really passionate about turned out to be kind of a dud or, you know, whatever it might be. But the point is everything works out. And just being able to, to you know, uh, I would get, I guess, confront some of those anxiety-inducing thoughts with different thoughts that are not anxiety-inducing goes a long way. So thoughts are controlled directly, emotions are controlled indirectly. And I think this is uh, really, really important because 
the work of, of emotional health and emotional well-being is really about building an awareness. It's just learning to understand what's going on, what those emotions are like, and then deciding how you want to respond. And that's kind of the thought component. Whereas managing your thought life is a lot more about like, um, okay, well, I have that thought. That's not a good thought. I'm going to dismiss of it. And I'm going to instead uh, think about an alternative perspective. I'm going to reconceptualize the situation. I'm going to think about this differently, or I'm going to remind myself of the truth. It's a lot more malleable that way. And you're, you're not necessarily reactive. You can actually be proactive. Now, you can also be proactive in your emotional well-being, but it looks basically like getting in touch with your emotions regularly so that you're quickly responsive and then understanding the states and conditions and environments that are necessary for you to be emotionally well and then just trying to get yourself into those positions as frequently as you possibly can. So that's that's sort of the, the fundamental differences between emotions and thought. Now, if you're looking to improve in these areas, I have two tools that I always recommend. So if you've been listening for a while, these aren't going to be new, although you might need a reminder. But to deal with your emotions, I highly recommend journaling. Journaling is one of the best ways to just label those emotions, get in touch with your thoughts, and really, I would say, get in control of your emotional life. And if you're looking to uh, renew your mind, improve your thinking and your thought life, uh, I highly encourage you to do affirmations, daily affirmations, or what we call here mirror therapy. So that's where you stand in front of a mirror, look yourself square in the eyes, and speak the truth over you. And there's a good reason we do that. You know, uh, the, the Proverbs, I believe it's somewhere in the book of Proverbs that it says the eyes are the windows of the soul. So when you look at yourself in the eyes, you look at your soul. And Jesus said that if you look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery in your heart. And so he was drawing a link between the well-being of our heart with what we look at, with what happens with our eyes. So when you look at yourself in the eyes and you speak truth, it is not just something to make you feel good. It is meant to penetrate the deepest parts of your heart and soul and in, in a way that it actually brings about transformation and that those thoughts no longer are just thoughts, but they become truths that you believe. So that, my friends, is the goal. It is the goal that you and I manage both our thoughts and our emotions well. Um, now, actually, I, I know I was kind of like building up to my, uh, to my landing here, but I want to just say one more thing, which is that... Uh, as easy as it is to sort of say, okay, that was a thought, that was a, an emotion, you know, it's kind of human nature. We're essentialists at heart, which means we love categorizing things and putting them in their place. And especially guys, you know, we just, we love our, our compartmentalization. But um, it's okay, and it's, in fact, it's quite common, and I would say even healthy, for emotions and thoughts to intertwine and overlap. So, for example, you know, my wife and I get into a disagreement and she says something that kind of hurts my feelings. So I get upset and um, and I lash out at her, you know, so I start I start yelling um, or, you know, or saying things that are not nice. And granted, you know, I'm a healed up man. I don't do this very often, but it does happen from time to time. So usually in my processing, I, I try my best to identify the emotions and the thoughts. So emotions are labeled and thoughts are defined. 
So I will, I will just listen in, you know, and I'll think, okay, what was the emotion there? Well, yeah, she said this thing and I got really, really angry. So there it is. There's my emotion. I'm, I'm angry. I was infuriated. I felt, uh, you know, undervalued or un, un, undignified or whatever it is. Let's just say uh, for the sake of simplicity, I felt angry. Okay, so that's my emotion. Now, why did I feel angry? I felt angry because her comment implied that I was inadequate. Let's say that's that's the reason. So the the emotion is I feel angry. I feel angry. There's the emotion. I feel angry because her comment implied that I was inadequate. That's a thought. So when I have to communicate back with her, I'm telling I'm telling my wife, "Hey, when you said this, I felt angry because it, that that comment kind of it implied that I was inadequate." Now, that's not even necessarily a true statement. That's still kind of feely and perceptive, but it is a thought. It's it's no longer an emotion. It's it's now a thought. And she might say, "Oh, I didn't mean that." This is usually what happens with us. It's like, "No, no, no. That that you're right. That is what I said. It's not what I meant. What I was actually trying to say is this." And it's like, "Oh, so when you said this, what you actually meant was that I was, you know, that you were you were just expecting something different and you were trying to communicate the differences." She's like, "Yes." I wasn't saying you were inadequate or whatever else. So again, uh, identifying the emotions first goes a really long way because if all I say is to my wife um, or, or to whoever I'm communicating with, if all I say is, well, you implied that I'm inadequate, that immediately gets their guards up. It, it becomes accusatory. It's very pointed and it, it causes them to be defensive. But when I say I felt angry and because I felt angry, I, I assumed that you were saying this, that you were assuming or you were implying I was inadequate. And when you communicate your emotion first, it keeps people's guard down. So while emotions and thoughts have their own place and yes, they intertwine um, and sometimes emotions come first and sometimes they come second, generally speaking, when you are communicating, you always start with the emotion. It just, it, it dissipates any of the tension it, it doesn't, um, it keeps the defensiveness down and it really allows people to just uh, to take things in without having to defend themselves. And that goes a really long way. So there you go. You got a little relationship tidbit here and ho hopefully that actually demonstrates the dynamic. Thoughts and emotions are constantly in this interplay. But what we want to do as best as we can is try to label the emotions, identify, uh, define the thoughts rather, and then try to put them in their respective place. And if it involves communicating with somebody, we want to always lead with the emotions first. That's going to go a really long way to keeping the conversation safe and allowing the person on the receiving end to process the information accordingly. So thank you guys so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And lastly, if you haven't downloaded my free guide, my pre-porn recovery guide, you can go to the uh, you can go to ultimaterecoveryguide.com. These are my five best practices for recovery, and they are guaranteed, guaranteed to help you. If you put these five practices to play, even for 30 days, I guarantee you will see major progress in your life. You will experience the kind of transformation that we talked about at the beginning of this episode with Stuart Harrison. Thanks so much for listening. Have an amazing day, guys. We'll talk again soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to The New Man Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, you can share it with others, post about it on social media, 
or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, please sign up for the weekly newsletter at www.sathiasam.com or follow on Instagram at Sam. Thanks again and see you next time.